Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Lisa Hooker, Head of Consumer Markets at PwC. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Simon. How are you doing today? Yeah, good. The sun's out today. <laughs> the sun's out, yeah, and, the, and the wind stopped and the rain's disappeared for a bit. So it's probably the best we can hope for this time of year. Exactly. Good. So I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. We're going to kind of talk all things retail consumer, but before we dive into those topics can you just give us a bit of background on yourself Lisa kind of what you've done how you've got to be in head of consumer markets at PwC yeah sure um so I am what we call a lifer i.e I left university and I've been at PwC ever since having moved from training in audit and getting my accountancy qualifications to then moving around different areas in terms of deals But my day job really is doing financial due diligence on retail and leisure deals. And through that, I've always really been involved with the consumer. So headed up the transaction team and then the deals team. And then I've gone firm wide so that, um, as people know, PwC is divided by lines of service. But we have this um, overarching structure by industry where we drive our key accounts and key thought leadership and our community. Excellent. So um, from from college through to today, there's it's a bit like, I think the only other person I can think of was a lifer was Ryan Giggs, who played for, for Man United from schoolboy all the way through. There's not, not many people that have completed that journey now, is there? I think um, my generation is quite a few of us, but not in the younger generations. I think they say, don't they, that sort of Generation Z is going to have like 12 jobs or something. So I think it's, it's changed in people's attitudes to, to careers and jobs. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let, let's get into the fun stuff then. Um, if we if we focus on retail, there's lots we can talk about. So we'll we'll keep quite focused. But from a, a general retail point, are there any key trends that you're seeing out there at the moment? It's it's a really interesting backdrop at the moment. I always say, look, across 2023, the consumer has been incredibly resilient. Because if you look at like the ONS data, they've grown about 6% a month. Now, I know that means that given inflation, the volume declined by about 2 to 3%. But still, there's more money going into the tills. But the outlook and what we've seen is a lot more volatility week on week, responding much more to weather or special events on, on the positive or negative. So... You know, the consumer has been resilient, but it's not been easy. Um, And there's definitely been winners um, in terms of growing areas such as grocery, health and beauty, um, the pets (laughs) and the children. But I think it's been much tougher for the big ticket furniture, electricals, DIY. Um, And as we sit here today, I say, look, there's some really good reasons to be cheerful. In fact, the inflation's coming down real incomes going above inflation but there's also reasons to be fearful in terms of the latent impact of interest rates on mortgages and rent and also the job market outlook is softened a little bit yeah it's a real mixed bag isn't it and and every time you kind of shake the pot it it settles slightly differently in terms of how you feel about it i think from what from what we've seen you know that whole conversation is bricks and mortar dead i never believed it anyway and I, I think it'll always be there I think there's there's a softening in shift certainly I was in London for most of the week last last week you know Oxford Street there's a big change isn't there you've got um 
the old Debenhams that's almost knocked down now, the old House of Fraser that's knocked down. So we've really only got John Lewis as the the department store and then and then Selfridges. But further down the street, I went into Next, and that's almost becoming a, a pseudo department store because we've got Gap and we've got Jewels and, and all the other things. So there's this morphing, but also lots more, certainly in that central London bit, leisure, hospitality, coffee shops every three or four kind of uh, shop fronts. So the mix has changed, hasn't it? But actually the physicality is always going to be there. Yeah, it's really interesting. We did uh, Consumer Reconsidered a couple of years ago. And when we asked, do you love stores? It was actually the younger generation that if they had the time, loved them the most. So I don't think you're going to see online continue to grow rapidly. I think it will continue to have an impact, but I think it's going to grow a lot slower but when you actually we also do some research around net store openings and closures for chain stores and you've seen still a continued shift away from the high street to more retail parts because they're viewed as being more convenient you can park you can grab your click and collect you can grab your coffee on the drive-through etc um so stores are definitely here to stay but where they are is changing and i think there are a number of high streets that are going through a level of regeneration. I always think when you pick London, Regent Street, I think, has done it really well and partly helped, I think, by a common landlord. But Oxford Street, I think, is sort of two or three years into what is now a regeneration, given that actually some of the big brands have had to pull out. Yeah. Um, and it's good to see that IKEA is is coming in and going to reopen quite a big site um, on the Oxford Street side. Yeah, that'd no, be interesting. I've seen the face. It looks pretty cool with the kind of, we all know what the IKEA bug looks like and it looks like a giant IKEA bug that they're, they're covering the building, weren't we? So some creative marketing there. One of the big news stories in the last kind of six weeks has been, I think, the surprise in the the jump from national living wage. So we, we're going up a pound and, and two pence and we're dropping the, the threshold down to include under 21s. For some they're above it so it's a, a differential pressure for others it was way more than they were the budgeting for because i think historically we've done kind of 40 through to, to 60p is that something that lots of your clients are talking to you about and is in their in their minds of how they get to get through to april and, and budget for it but also the next two three four years with a, a potential change in government which could mean an increase in this area it's it's really interesting. We obviously got the autumn statement, and I think it did include some areas which were positive for the shopper and the consumer in terms of the national living wage, inflation-linked pensions, national insurance reduction. So it, it's positive on that side. The negative side of things is the affordability um, next year, not just around the living wage, but also around the rates increases. So yeah. there's quite a lot of cost inflation to come. And there's still mixed talk about quite what's going to happen to energy prices next year, whether there might be a little bit more of an increase in, in those after we've seen quite a substantial decrease this year. So there's a lot of chat about how do you manage your costs um, and the cost inflation at the same time as serving the customer in the best way you can and freeing up cash to invest in technology and generative AI is quite a common conversation to have with um, a number of the market. And it, it's tricky to 
square that circle, isn't it? Because you know we, we've seen it before where people have have been quite blunt with cost cutting which becomes a short-term measure and, and then stunts that growth as the economy bounces back. We've seen people go almost full automation, which then for some some generations of shoppers is absolutely what they want. For others, they still want that human interaction. And I, I still feel, you know, certainly maybe some of the bigger supermarkets as well, we're still trying to find that balance of manned versus self-checkout. We seem to have swung in my local ones to 70, 80% self-checkout less manned i'm sure in the future it may swing back but that's not an easy thing to one start to solve but two to have a strategic plan which takes you three or four years when there's so many moving component parts yeah it's 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 an interesting one is when my cossack colleagues talk to me they they simply talk about taking out bad costs and those costs that aren't really appreciated by your consumer um, but probably using that money to invest in good costs and good investments. Um, so there is that sort of permanent pressure to try and eliminate costs that aren't actually driving good business. And and when you talk about stores now, you know, actually a consumer wants an omni-channel experience. They want to be able to buy whenever they want, yep. where they want, how they want. So they do want the combination of online and, you know, in store but also like social media and all the other areas and, and rental and resale type models so they do want an increasing way of engaging so which does put pressure on your cost base and I think there will be more technology that we've seen already coming into stores but it depends on the purpose of the journey if it's a convenience store where you want to be in and out as quick as possible Things like self-checkout or even checkout free is really important. But if you're buying a luxury purchase, you want sort of the engagement um, of the staff in the shop. So I think what you're going to have to do is look at your estate and in different places, it probably has different purposes. And then you're going to have to consider how much you have people and people time vis-a-vis technology. Yeah, so a much more tailored approach to the kind of the, the format offering or the lens that you're deploying in that local area. Yes. So cost pressures, but also like you say, some some exciting stuff. So you know, there's the, as you said, there's the um, investment in AI, machine learning, which we we're probably only on the cusp of, aren't we? In terms of some of the things we've seen, and I'm, I'm sure, like me, you've kind of had a play with Bard or ChatGPT and, and see what it it can and can't do. So there's also lots of excitement around hospitality, retail, um, certainly in some of the other areas we work in, manufacturing, contact centres, around what the art of the possible is within the boundaries of not kind of termi- turning into kind of a, a Terminator world through AI and machine learning. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I always think you have to think, what is the role of technology? And you can think about it probably in lots of ways but I think about it in five ways you know does it enhance the customer proposition and end-to-end customer journey did you know do you need it to digitize the operating model to capture either efficiencies but also unlock effectiveness particularly in an omni-channel world like unified commerce intelligent logistics and digital payments Um, is it to meet ESG regulations or corporate commitments across the value chain is it to evolve the business model with convergence of different models? Do we know I talked about resale, rental, but there's also like marketplaces. 
Um, or one that's increasingly really interesting and really important is how people monetize their tech capabilities and their data assets. You're seeing people talk a lot more about B2B plays. Um, and I think um, actually it was in the press with Asda this morning on this whole monetizing your data. Yeah, there was some bits I was reading yesterday in the paper. I think it was that was Tesco's in Sainsbury's about a future world potentially where you're almost watching Netflix and they, there's somebody that's not those organizations necessarily sold data and then all of a sudden you're getting tailored ads within other applications based on your shopping and buying preferences. And it's and it's really interesting. We did some research on how people feel about that. Is it creepy that you're being followed almost? And the general response, particularly with the younger shoppers, they don't mind as long as it's useful and yeah. it's relevant. What they don't like is when it's not. Yeah, and, and you know, you, there's still at that debate, isn't there? And I, I don't know the answer that you hear people say, well, is, is Facebook listening because I search golf balls on Amazon and all of a sudden I've got golf ball adverts on Facebook or Instagram? So there, there's an element to that, that that's happening kind of beneath the waves already. So tailoring it feels maybe like a step forward. But, yeah, like you say, if it's then a wash with content that's irrelevant it becomes more dissatisfying than a benefit yeah definitely so lot, lots to play for in that area uh, from a, a cost effectiveness point of view but also from a, a consumer point of view as well i think that there's loads to go out to simplify journeys to make sure we've got the right data to for those bigger you know maybe tech purchases or high-end purchases we've got the right information and we're, we're confident that we're going to spend that money so i think i think there's some really exciting stuff to to come in there um yeah because i think the proximity to the customer is going to be more and more important because as we look into 2024 we are in a low growth environment not just in the uk but globally and even potentially might tip into recession in certain countries so really leveraging the data um, in terms of getting it right for the customer and the right personalization, but also for new revenue streams will be quite important going into 24. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And finishing kind of 2023, we've had Black Friday at the time of recording kind of probably almost a month ago, although it, it felt this year a bit like Black Friday month. My my inbox started filling up with Black yeah. Friday offers from the start of uh, November, I think. And there's still, when you look on online, some organisations have almost carried that that sale through. What what are your thoughts on on Black Friday this year? It's really interesting. So Black Friday, it now gets called Black November, and actually the data does support that people this year started to promote earlier but we're a little bit more selective on how they discount maybe certain ranges um, where potentially they've got excess stock. But it's interesting, the shopper told us that they were less interested this year from 61% to 44%, which if you did the math would imply quite a drop in spending. And actually, we're still waiting for some data to come out. But if you actually look at the BRC data, they said in November sales were up 2.7%, but food was up, but non-food down. So I do think people pulled a little bit back from Black Friday this year. And the reason they said they were pulling back a bit was actually it's a more difficult job outlook. They're concerned about the cost of living crisis um, and the latent impact of interest rate rises. 
But on the positive, they also wanted to budget so they could prioritise Christmas. Mm -hmm. So, yes, people are more cautious, but, yes, I think Christmas is still very important to them. And do you think it kind of pulls forward spend? So it's not really new spend. Is it just people taking advantage of of the offers and it becomes, oh, I've I've bought X, Y, and Z, their Christmas presents early in the sale? Or are people looking for a special deal at that time? It's, it's quite interesting that what the statistics tell us and what the shopper tells us is this year they were starting their Christmas shopping early to help budget, but still the majority of spend is in the first two to three weeks of December. So we've still got a bit of time to play for. And with Christmas Day being on a Monday, that run up to the week before, I think will be really important. Yeah, would- When you ask people, why do they use Black Friday? Actually, it's more about the under 45 and men and men prioritize buying for themselves and spending on technology while women it's more about the family and it's technology but also fashion and the start of Christmas gifting so I don't think um, it's a massive Christmas gifting area but it is now part of the calendar and people are looking for discounts and we've almost got like a double peak up to Christmas which we didn't have years ago um so you used to before Black Friday really took off in about two thousand and thirteen. You used to have um, sales gradually increasing through November into December with some promotional activity in December. Now you see a bit of a peak in November, then it comes off, and people tend to come off. The majority come off promotion, and then you go back into promotion. Um, so I think it's just part of people's shopping habits and how they budget for the year. But it's not really about Christmas. Yeah, and I think this year more than ever, there's been lots of marketing noise. It's been quite, I've found it as a consumer quite difficult to understand if it's a good deal for Black Friday or if it's just a slightly incremental deal or actually if it's not a good deal, but it's marketed as a Black Friday deal. So I I think for me as a consumer, it's becoming more difficult to shop it because there's so much more noise. It's less, you know, people fighting for tellies in the supermarket, more like you say, departmental promotions or flash deals, but difficult to understand the value? I always say to people, some of the big players um, who do promotional activity all year round, it it might not be the best deal. It might just be one of the deals that they do across the year, but you might find it other times. I think when you get to more of the mid-market, which is a lot of what retailers are, I think there are some genuine offers where you'll see 25% off winter coats or you'll um, see 25% um, across the board. I think they are genuine discounts, but I'd say, look, it might not be the lowest discount. So if somebody's putting 25% off coats, but they're still over stocks in December, that could be the end of December or into January sales. That could go to 50%. So I, I say, look, you don't know if it's the best offer, but I think for majority of the market, it is a genuine offer. Yeah, I agree. And a few more organisations opting out this year. So again, more high-end fashion where, you know, it's a considered purchase and a a specialist purchase, so they don't necessarily need to discount. But yeah, there seem to be a few more that were were kind of saying not not for us. I think they were, it was interesting. I think it was more of a marketing ploy because you saw a couple talk about green Friday rather than Black Friday, talking about maybe secondhand and recycling. And then you did see some brands sort of making a stance, but we actually saw a little bit more of the luxury market than normal engage in Black Friday. And I think 
we have seen in the second half of the year quite a slowdown in luxury, in, in particular aspirational luxury rather than really high-end luxury. Mm-hmm. So there was actually a few more participating this year than we saw in prior years. Interesting. And Christmas thoughts and predictions for, for 2024, where, where do you see us heading? Well, again, we we do quite a lot of research in the golden quarter. So we did ask um, consumers, what are you going to spend at Christmas on presents and festivities? And actually, last year they spent £23 billion, um, And this year it looks like they're telling us they're going to spend £20 billion, 13% less. And um, so it does sound like people are getting concerned about cost of living crisis and they're going to spend less. Having said that... I'm always a little bit more optimistic because, first of all, when we did the survey back in September, 30% said they'd spend less, and now that's dropped to 18%. Last year, they said they were going to spend $20 billion, but spent 23 I think for a couple of reasons, probably inflation, but also it was our first normal Christmas post-COVID, and when people are together, they tend to spend more on each other. Um, so I think that could happen again this year. So I... Don't think it'd be as bad as consumers say, because I think they will spend more than they think, particularly because they do tell us they want to prioritise special time with the family. Um, but I don't think we'll see much growth. And a growth, and I do think it will be quite um, different by different categories. So I think I saw a few articles over the weekend with the grocery chain saying actually they're expecting quite a decent Christmas. Um, yep. But then I saw some, you know, others maybe more big ticket type areas. Um, where they're a little bit more cautious so I think it's all to play for even though there's only a couple more weeks left um, as we record this podcast it's all to play for and I do think it'd be better than expected but I don't think we'll see big growth and and ultimately as a consumer if you can kind of tell in the January sales really can't you how well people have done or not because by the level of stock that's left the the price cuts and the and the discounts that are given so it it works for us in both ways almost it, it does. And I think a lot of retailers have got much more cautious uh, around their stock levels and therefore knowing there's more volatility in the market and managing them better. But there will be some, like some of the online players possibly got caught out by the fact that online has definitely come back to trend rather than keep the COVID wins. Um, and some of the big ticket areas, you know, they might see a bit more promotional activity to drive that January big ticket purchase. And 2024, what what are your thoughts as we kind of head into potentially a change of government? We won't get political, but it seems to be what people think at the time of recording. Um, maybe recessions in, in different countries around the world. So how do you think it, it's going to look for us? It's interesting because across the globe, there's going to be slow growth. Um, so you're going to have to fight very hard for share of wallet or share of stomach. Um and so it won't be an easy market. And I do slightly worry, and I mentioned it last year, but we didn't see it, about a credit card hangover into January if people do spend a little bit more than they expect. Um, so I think it will be unpredictable and it will be a bit of a fight for those pounds in your tills. So I think it's going to be so important um, about that proximity to customer that I've already talked to maybe more collaboration with your suppliers given that volatility and you need to have flexibility. Um, 
And I think people will look very much about how can they build their brand through expansions, through partnerships, product launches or brand resets to really try and engage the consumer. But it's not going to be an easy year, um, but I think it will be one just of quite low growth overall. And typical cost challenges will be prevalent, I assume, like you said at the kind of start of the podcast, job markets flattening, which which may be a consequence of some of those cost pressures. And do you see it being a market of opportunity for kind of consolidation in certain areas or or expansion for others? Yes, I mean, we've seen for a while in the UK a level of consolidation we would never have expected years go by. You mentioned Next at the beginning, but you know, Next and M&S now stock what were traditionally competitive brands. Um, and you've seen Next be quite acquisitive. They've just bought Fat Face. Um, so I do think you'll see the continuation of the strong players and platforms in the broader sense, you know, buying into other brands. Because actually, if you look at retail, retail margins have halved over the last 15 years. And therefore, if retail margins are halved, you really need to make your costs work very hard for you and your infrastructure. So you can do that by more consolidation, but as much about consolidation, about collaboration and partnerships. So I think that's been a trend for a while that will definitely continue. Um, And I think at the beginning, while cost savings never go away, you can't keep driving through costs. So I think even though it's a low growth environment, people will look to and retailers will look to grow sales and look at their pricing and promotions and ranging to try and sort of drive incremental pounds in their till. Yeah, yeah. I think you you struggle to save your way out of a a recession or borderline recession, don't you? You've got to invest for the future and... And really put your stamp on what makes you different. Otherwise, you kind of blend into the margins with everybody else. So, yeah, I think I think it'll be interesting times. I, personally, I don't think it, it's as doom and gloom as as maybe the pictures are painting. I think there's opportunity there if if people are brave and and can invest slightly or think creatively, think differently about their customers, how they serve them, or or their uses of technology. So. I think you use the phrase "all to play for." I think twenty twenty four is one of those all all to play for years where you know the the brave and the strong will will excel. If you're maybe not as not as brave and not as strong, it it might be more of a struggle. Yeah, and you've got to think of where the pockets of growth. So capitalizing on you know consumer behaviour in terms of what and how they want to buy the fact that health and well being is prioritised. Um, as well as pets and children, um, and as you say, integrating that emerging technology. So there's always pockets of growth and and areas to go for, um, but you do sort of need to continue to invest in those areas. Excellent. So we'll, we'll pause on that note, Lisa. It's been great to have your time. Thanks for taking the time out to catch up. If people want to reach out to you, where's the best place for them to find you? Actually, the easiest way to find me, I would say, is on LinkedIn um, because it has all my details and people can reach out to me if they want to send me a message. Brilliant. And well, I, if people reach out to sort of link in with me, I am very happy to do so. Brilliant. We'll put a link to your profile in the show notes just to make that step a little bit easier. But thanks once again. Uh, really appreciate your insights and love catching up. Yeah, no, good to speak to you, Simon. Take care.